Um, we want to talk this morning about influence. And it's been my privilege to be a principal here in our Christian school for 26 years and to influence kids from kindergarten all the way up through. One of my favorite stories, uh, because, because kids are so honest, I didn't tell us in the first service, but one of my favorite stories was one day I was in the grade 1-2 group. And this little boy said to me, he said, you know, I, I wished I had your job. And I said, you wished you had my job? Well, what do you mean you wished you had my job? And he said, well, I wished I had your job. He said, you know, I could sit up at your, in your office, sit, sit back in my chair, put my feet up on my, on my desk, put my hands behind my head and just boss people around all day. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. And this first grader, I, I, I just thought it was so funny. It was hilarious to hear him saying that. But that was his perception. And I thought, buddy... You have no idea what it's like up there. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting when you listen to kids. But over the years of school that I have had uh, opportunities to grow up through elementary school and high school, there are some key players that have influenced my life. I can think of one teacher in particular, Mrs. Cuthbertson. And uh, for a third grade teacher, that was, or for a th- third grade student, Mrs. Cuthbertson is a pretty tough name to say. But Mrs. Cuthbertson was one of those people where she just loved me, she encouraged me, she just seemed to love everybody equally in the class, she solved problems really simply. Um, but I didn't know very much about her. And when I got older, I discovered that she actually has a child with special needs. I also uh, learned later on she had a very difficult home situation. But I never knew that in the classroom. She just made me feel like I was significant. And I was the only person in the room. I was so glad to have Mrs. Cuthbertson in my life. remember looking back, other people who weren't my teachers in school, but I think of Jean Smith. Jean Smith, as long as I've known her, was an old lady. And uh, when Jean was about 58, she finally got married. And I just thought, you know, as a kid, 58's old. So what's an old person doing getting married? Uh, but she, she is just one of those people that encouraged me um, in many ways, shapes, or form to do what God wanted me to do. Jean had a sister, Margaret. She was not inspirational in my life. Jean, one day, when I was really searching for what God wanted me to do in my life, she met me in the parking lot one day, and she said to me, she said, Willie, I don't know what's going to happen or what it's going to take to make this take place, but you need to start to listen to what God wants in your life. I said, Margaret, what are you talking about? She said, I don't believe that what you're doing is what God wants you to do with your life. Okay. Um, So what is it you think I should be doing? So she went on to pontificate what I should be doing. So I said to her, Margaret, I don't want you to be offended by this. I said, but just, I'm trying to say this is the nicest way I possibly can. You know what? God has never had problem communicating with me. And God is very, very intelligent. In fact, he's way more intelligent than you and way more intelligent than me. But one of the things he doesn't do is he doesn't make prank phone calls. He doesn't send emails to the wrong people. And he doesn't give phone calls to the wrong people. So I'm glad that you have an idea of what I should be doing with my life. But you know what? I think you got your wires crossed. Because that's not what God's call on my life is. And I said, you know what? I believe that where I am and what I'm doing is what God wants me to do. So I'm going to keep going on that. Now, if God keeps telling you something about what I should be doing, please feel free to share that. But right now, the orders from headquarters are stay the course and do the deed. And that's what I'm going to do. Anyways, about two weeks later, Margaret came back to me and she apologized for giving me direction in my life. And I'm not sure what what all happened with that. But you know what? She was just trying to help me. That's what she really was trying to do. She wasn't being critical. She wasn't trying to kill my dream. She was just trying to be a person that would help me to go towards what God wanted for my life. And when I think of these grads this morning, and I said this to them, 
Uh, maybe there are other grads here today. I just want to read a little bit um, about, about the impact of influential teachers because every student has had a teacher that has been influential in their life. Could have been negative, could have been positive. And I was thinking in particular about teachers in this room today. There are retired teachers and there are teachers that are wanting to be retired. There are teachers that are just starting their career. And there are teachers <clears throat> that are looking and saying, man, I'm so glad I'm on summer vacation because I'm looking forward to that. But I want to say a big thank you to all of our teachers in all of our schools. Um, they, you're very significant in the responsibility in, in our community. And that's the shaping of the hearts and the minds of young people. I know each of you recognize the opportunity and responsibility that you have been entrusted with. And I want to say thank you for being teachers that students will emulate. The Bible says that when a student is fully trained, they will be like their teachers. Thank you for being a teacher that a student would actually emulate. And I want to just say also that I want to uh, pray that God would just bless you as you continue to work in the work that you're called to. And that God will renew you and refresh you. Uh, as you take a break away from the classroom and you step back in in the fall, your work is significant. You are very influential. And I want to say thank you because you know what? Every person in this room has had teachers and they have made big differences in their lives. And thank you for being a person that's been willing to do that. Secondly, to our grads, congratulations to each of you. Um, as you graduate and you move ahead, one chapter is done, but another chapter opens up and it's exciting to see those days that are unfolding in front of you. A piece of advice that somebody gave me a long time ago, um, and it's one that I believe that if they would take and apply it to their lives, they will never be sorry. There aren't many things you can say to a person that you can promise you will never be sorry for doing this. Here is one, you will never be sorry for doing it. And that is this. If you practice being what God wants you to be, you will be where God wants you to be. I want to say that again. If you practice being what God wants you to be, you will be where God wants you to be. And that's not just a message for graduates. It's a message for every person in this room. If you practice being what God wants you to be, you will be where God wants you to be. And rather than asking yourself the question, am I doing what God wants me to do? Be who God wants you to be, and you will be where God wants you to be. God has great things in store for graduates. God has great things in store for every person in this room. And I believe that there are all kinds of people who are trying to give all kinds of grads all kinds of advice. Where they should be, what they should do, where they should enroll, where they should live. But really, there's one voice that should really listen to, above all. And that's God's Holy Spirit speaking into their life. If they're, if they're a believer, that is one of the names they should be calling on, saying, God, help me. Help me to know where I should be and what I should do. And I said earlier that, that one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that, that uh, His Word is a lamp unto our feet. A lamp doesn't shine one mile ahead of us. It just shines a short piece in front of us. And sometimes when we get to graduation, we're concerned about the next four years of our life. Don't be concerned about the next four years of your life. Be concerned about being the person that you're supposed to be today and following in the light that you can see. That's as far as you need to walk. That's as far as you need to go. And as you move ahead, the light will move ahead. And great things are going to be in store for you. I want to speak today about influence because influence is something that all of us are victims of. We are victimized with influence in many ways, shapes, or forms. And all of us in this room are actually people of influence. We hold significance in the lives of people. When I think of Gene Smith, Mrs. Cuthbertson, Mr. Holmes, uh, my own parents, each of us in this room, if I said to you, I want you to tell me somebody that's been influential in your life. I don't believe that any of you will list off the president of a country, a prime minister, a great sports figure, 
You're not going to list those people off. You're going to list off people that will never make the internet on Time's top 100 influential people. But those people are influential in your life. And what I want you to understand this morning is that you are just as equally influential in the lives of other people. I remember when I was trying to find out what God wanted me to do with my life. Uh, Some of you might not know. I grew up in 300 acres of farm. Oldest boy. Uh, But I knew God's call was not to be a farmer. I knew that was not God's call. That was not what I wanted to do. But I remember being with my dad. How do you say to your dad when a farm has been in in, in your family for 110 years, I don't want this thing. And so my dad and I are working together one day and I said to my dad, Dad, um... You know, we're just talking about things. And so he finally says to me, he said, what do you want to do? Next year when you graduate, what do you want to do? And I said, uh, um, I, I don't really know. I think I'm going to go to Bible school for a year. And he said to me, he said, Willie, I want you to understand something. If you don't want to farm, that's okay. Because you know what the farm has been? It's been our way of providing an income and a living for our home. But if you believe God wants you to do something else with your life, then go do what God wants you to do. Do you know how influential those words were in my life when I was 16 years old? Trying to figure out the next steps? He will never be listed on Time's top 100 influential people. But in my book, he's in the top two. He's in the top two. And each of us, each of us in this room, are people of influence. The dictionary describes influence as the capacity or the power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the actions, behaviors, and the opinions of others. John Maxwell says that influence is described as our ability to deal with people and build positive relationships with them. More than anything else in life, relationships make us or break us. I want us to say this this morning, and I know that you guys will help me out here. I want us to say just a couple things. First of all, out loud, and it's about you. It's not about me. We're going to use the pronoun I. It's about you, not me. I want you to say, I am influential. I am influential. Okay? I also want you to say this. I am influenced. I am influenced. Now, some of us would not admit what we are actually influenced by. Some of us would not admit what some of our vices actually are. It might not be a good move. Because, you see, there are many things... There are many circumstances and situations. There are many relationships that have shaped who we are today. But the truth of the matter is, when we, when we look at things that shape us, we have to really start to ask the question, what is shaping us? Who is shaping or influencing us? What is shaping or influencing us? And secondly, who or what are we actually influencing? Mom and dad? Brother or sister, you influence each other in a great way. Co-worker, you influence each other in a great way. If I was to ask you, what really is influencing you? I'll tell you, there are seven things that really are of influence in our life today. Not just these seven, but these are the seven top ones. Family and friends. The law. That's what keeps some of us doing the right thing, right? Television and movies. Education. Books music, and the internet. Let's look at a few of the sources that are shaping our communities today. Do you recognize anybody in this slide? 
Put your hand up if you recognize anybody there. Okay, good, good. How many of you can name at least five movies that some of those characters are in? Name at least five movies that some of those characters are in. Let's go to the next slide. How many of us can name at least five songs of these artists? Put your hand up, name at least five songs of these artists. Some of you are afraid to put your hand up? You don't want to incriminate yourself? Okay. How many of the people on slide one or slide two are actually good Christian role models? I don't think the number is very large. Okay. How many of you, when you watch their movies or you listen to their musics, music, were actually encouraged spiritually? Please put your hand up. If you were encouraged spiritually as you watch their movies or you listen to their music. Not many of us. Now, I don't want to diminish because some of these people have done some great humanitarian work. Some of them have done some great humanitarian work around the world. They have contributed in many ways, but they're not role models that I would want to emulate. They're not people that I would want to have a large part in my life. And the truth of the matter is, <coughs> excuse me, for us as Christians, we actually have to ask ourselves, part of the seven there, how do movies influence us? How do music influence us? What about this? How is our family influencing us? What about, how about the books that we're reading? Would you be uncomfortable this morning if I said to you, can you please tell me the book that you're reading right now? Or, if you had to put up there the list of the last five movies you watched, or the music that's on your iPod, would you become embarrassed and think, oh my goodness, I don't want people to think less of me? My challenge would be to think more of yourself by being more selective with what you've got on your iPod, with what you're actually putting into your head through what you're watching on TV, with what you're reading in books. There is all kinds, there are all kinds of good pieces to listen to, good movies to watch. And if there isn't, don't listen to it and don't watch it. What about our schools? How are our schools impacting us and influencing us? What about the Internet? How is that influencing us? I I read a stat, and the stat said that pastors, in particular, it said pastors erase, 33% of pastors erase their history on a daily basis. 33% of pastors erase their history on a daily basis. Could I look at your history on your computer? Could I see what you're watching? What you're spending your time in? We have a great system here in the church. Somebody actually checks out what we check out. I love it. I love that kind of accountability. But you know what? In the privacy of our homes, we can watch a tremendous amount of garbage if we want to. We have got to be people that guard our eyes and our hearts. Remember a song that was a kid's song? I don't know if they still sing it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you... And oh, be careful, little ears. Oh, be careful, little tongue. All those pieces. I think when we get a little bit older, we stop being so careful. Because we think... We're like Superman. We're resilient. Those things are not going to affect us. They still affect us. They still impact us. 
I think one of the things I want you to understand this morning is that we need to be aware that we still live in a culture that is not directing us towards God, but it really is directing us towards self-gratification and independence from God and independence from His expectation. I want to remind us this morning that there is a battle that we are engaged in. It's the battle for the hearts and the minds of every person in our community. God has given us guidance in His Word. He tells us very clear the things that we should be putting into our minds and into our hearts. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Throw those things off. Ephesians 6, 11 to 13, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Colossians 2, 6-9, So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. 1 John 2, 15-16, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the, sorry, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but comes from the world. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. How much time do we spend thinking on these things? It depends on which of the seven we're focusing our energies on. It depends which of the seven our energies are going towards. Our thoughts cannot be seen, but our actions are a direct result of the beliefs and the values that we hold within ourselves. What we feed ourselves is what gives us the energy to do the things that we do. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-13, through 13, Peter opens up with a sweet reminder, and he says that there are benefits in serving Christ, and he talks to us about our heavenly inheritance. Then he goes on to tell us that we must prepare our minds for action. It's a commandment that he makes to us. It's not an optional feature. He doesn't sit back, say, get saved, and sit there. He says, prepare your minds for action. So roll up your sleeves, it says. Roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then. You do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy. You be holy. Pretty direct. We live in a culture today that teaches us to be passive in the way that we think. We are encouraged to be passive in lifestyle choices, and we're encouraged to be passive in our convictions. The Bible says, prepare your minds for action. In today's culture, we need to have Christ-centered, active minds. One of the reasons so many people struggle with pornography, 
One of the reasons we struggle so much with poor attitudes, one of the reasons we struggle so much with things that are not a part of a Christian's life is because our minds are fed by culture. They're not fed by the Word. They are fed by the seven influences, and we just keep on absorbing and adopting the values that are being presented. We never, ever engage our brains to think through these things and ask, what is it that God wants me to do? If you were to take those portions of Scripture and you were to stick them beside your computer, if you were to stick them beside your TV, if you were to stick them beside your friendships, would your viewing change? Would your friendships cease and others blossom? And when, I, when, when we look at, at what the Scriptures have for us, is that Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this is what we should be doing. We as individuals, we are being urged by God, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. <coughs> Excuse me. Holy and pleasing. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Do you ever want to please your dad? Do you ever wake up and say, today, God, I want to please you. Then eat the right stuff. Eat the right stuff. You can't become a star athlete eating junk food. You can't become a great golfer by never golfing. You can't become a great parent without working at it. And the truth is, you cannot mature spiritually unless you feed yourself on a day-in, day-out basis. Sunday morning should not be the only day you get spiritual food. You should have fed yourself the other six days. It's a part of growing up. When I was a child, my parents fed me. When I got older, I fed myself. Today, I still feed myself. And I joke with my kids now and again, one day, you know what? I'm going to be old and feeble, and you'll have to feed me. They don't seem real willing. I don't know about that. But one day, they are going to do that. And I'm trusting they'll do the right thing. I don't know. We'll see what that takes place and how that all works out. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we are to give ourselves back to Christ. That we're supposed to be pleasing him with our life. He tells us not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed in all of our thinking. Then he tells us because our minds are changed, we will actually be able to test and approve what God wants done in our lives and through our lives. Most of us are quite familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2. But we need, need to move beyond being familiar with the truth to a genuine love relationship so that the truth is something that we take ownership of. And we begin to train our minds. I read a very troubling stat this last week again. It said the average Christian spends six seconds a day reading their Bible. The average Christian spends six seconds a day reading their Bible. Even more bothersome was the stat that said the average pastor spends six minutes a day reading their Bible. How can we claim to be followers of a God when we don't even read his book? How can we be all that God wants us to be? How can we get the very best that God wants to give to us unless we're willing to feed ourselves on the truths that he's laid down in his word? Understand that every sin that has ever been committed began with a thought. 
It began by us giving the opportunity for that thought to be fed. Martin Luther once said, we cannot control the birds from flying over our heads, but we can control the birds from making nests in our hair. I'll say that again. Martin Luther once said, we cannot control the birds from flying over our heads, but we can control the birds from making nests in our hair. The information that we're exposed to, the information that we allow to be absorbed into our minds, we give it permission to go there, we give it permission to be there, or we deny it entry. We need to be selective with what's going into it. With God's help, because we cannot do it on our own, but with God's help, if we control our minds, we can control our actions. True renewal comes in thinking differently about ourselves, thinking differently about the Lord, and thinking differently about whatever we're struggling with. This is how we can be transformed in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. He says to us, test everything. As responsible individuals, we need to ask ourselves the question, is my participation in this helping me towards the calling that God has placed upon my life? Is my participation in this event actually helping others that are looking to me for spiritual influence? I remember, remember Dennis Rodman when he played, and some of you would remember this scene. He went up for a layup, and when he came down, he actually fell down on top of a cameraman, and then he kicked the guy as hard as he could in the privates. I remember seeing that and thinking, what a jerk. That guy's an absolute jerk. And they interviewed him later on. And in the interview, the interviewer said to him, like Dennis, like, what was that all about? He said, the photographer shouldn't have been there. Oh. And then the guy said, well, what about you being a role model? What about all the kids that look up to you, Dennis? He said, I never asked to be a role model. I ain't no role model. Well, no truth had ever been spoken. Except those words. You know what? He didn't choose to it. I ain't no role model, but guess, here's the truth. He is a role model, but he's a negative role model. And how does a person, have you anybody watching Dennis Rodman? How does a person have influence in the global scheme of the world? How is that possible? Money speaks. It's not about the character, it's money. He's a person of influence, but not in a positive way. Are you a person of influence in a positive way in the lives of other people. What are the seven sources, the three sources, the ten sources that are influencing you? I know that there are are many times when I think as Christians, you know what, we don't really have a very healthy self-perspective because of the homes we come from, because of the lives that we have experienced. But I read this devotional, I thought, man, that is so great. Because it talks about the impact of people on people. And I just want to read this to you. It's... here, here's some pretty famous names. Einstein, Isaac Newton, Beethoven, Thomas Edison, Walt Disney, Caruso, Louise May Alcott, and Winston Churchill. There are, they are people that everybody in this room, they know their name. They should know most of them. And when, when you listen to these people and you look over their life accomplishments, let me tell you how they started out. Einstein was four years old before he could speak. And he was seven years old before he could read. Isaac Newton did poorly in grade school. Beethoven's music teacher said of him, as a composer, he is hopeless. When Thomas Edison was a boy, his teachers told him, you're too stupid to learn anything. A newspaper editor fired a guy by the name of Walt Disney because Walt Disney had no good ideas. 
Caruso's music teacher told him, you can't sing? In fact, you have no voice at all. Louise May Alcott was told by an editor that she could never write anything that would be popular or have any appeal to anybody. And Winston Churchill, he failed in the sixth grade. What changed the direction of these individuals? What caused them to become people that were known at the world level? I believe that it was one or two or three or many more people that spoke life into that person. I think for some of those young guys that were in school, they met a teacher that believed in them. They met a teacher who who influenced them and encouraged them. Maybe in their home, they had a mom or a dad that just would never give up, that would just be in their corner all the time. They were the best cheerleaders on the squad. I, I get blessed. I get blessed when I see parents cheering for their kids. I get more blessed when I see peers cheering for peers. Who are you cheering on? Who are you encouraging in their spiritual walk? Not just in earthly accomplishments, those are important, but who are you also encouraging on? And having a healthy perspective is so important. Just be careful around people who don't value themselves. This is talking about one of the influences that we have, and that's people. Be careful about people around people who don't value themselves because they are incapable of valuing you if they cannot value themselves. Look for those who enhance you, those who do not inhibit you, those who fertilize your mind and fortify your faith. When you're around them, you'll see your best qualities mirrored and nurtured by the words that come from their lips. When you encounter somebody who says to you, you have nothing to offer, be sure to laugh at them. It's impolite to hear a joke and not laugh. Step back, chuckle, and remember, when God made you, he said, it is good. For some of us in this room, we need to stop entertaining contrary opinion. We have so much potential to give to other individuals, but we've got to believe that we are people of influence with responsibility and opportunity. By God's grace, you can be everything he desires. God decided us, decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might have the most important thing of all that he's made, and that is life eternal. But we get the gift, and we give the gift by being people that allow God to influence our life and in turn we influence others. And I want to encourage you in that today so much. Positive and negative influence, it's everywhere. Positive and negative influence, it's everywhere. You can be a victim of negative influence or you can be stronger through negative influence. I've had some people in my life that were very negative, influential individuals. It's never fun learning that way. It's never fun learning that way. I remember spending 12 weeks with a man of God that I believed was going to be very influential in my life. He was a dynamic pastor. He was in a church that was growing well. And I had 12 weeks where I had to do a practicum with this guy. And so I remember sitting with him the very first night. And I said to him, there's one thing I want to do. I want to work with you. I don't want to work for you. I want to work with you. I want to know what breaks your heart. I want to know what lights your fire. I want to know, you know the inner workings of, of, of what really it's like to be in the ministry. And so for 12 long weeks, I spent day in and day out with this guy. I was never so glad for the 12th week to end in all my life. And so we're driving down the road, 
And this guy says to me as we're driving down the road, I want to talk to you about the 12-week practicum that we did. And I said, I really don't want to talk about the 12-week practicum. And he said, no, you, you really need, you, we really want to talk about that. Well, if anybody that knows me, I'm a pretty straight shooter. And I knew that if I shot, I was going to get killed. And so I thought, okay, um, he, he was insistent. So I said, fine, I'll, I'm going to give it to you. The truth. So I said to him, I said, well, I said, I'm just going to tell you. I said, 12 weeks ago, I asked a very, I thought, reasonable request. And I asked you to allow me to work with you. And I asked you to mentor me. And I asked you to let me know what's inside you as a person and what it's like to be in the ministry. And I said, you know what? In 12 weeks, we have prayed together three times. And in 12 weeks, you have done a critical analysis of who I am as a person and what my abilities are. I said, and the three times you did that, those were the three times we prayed together. And beyond that, I don't have a clue what the ministry looks like, but I know this. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be ugly. You know what? If being in the ministry looks like this, I never want to be in the ministry. Our conversation was done. Finished. So I left that. And I went off back to Bible school between my, my fourth and my fifth year because I was taking a Bachelor of Arts. I was taking a Bachelor of Science. And I had somebody that was uh, a teacher by the name of Cal Tyler. Some of you would know that name. Well, Cal Tyler was, was a teacher at Bible school. And so I was in a class with Cal Tyler. I was taking some extra courses. They were in Christian education. And so one day after class, I said to Cal, I said, Cal, I, said, I just got to talk to you. I'm so lost. I, I just know that I don't want to do ministry. I, I just had 12 weeks of, of punishment. And I said, that's not fine. If that's what it's going to look like in the future, I mean, I, I, it's over. I'm done. And I said, I just want God to make it so clear in my heart and in my mind where he wants me to be. So I know if I practice being what God wants me to be, God will open the door. And so I said, Cal, will you just pray with me that God will open the door for me? Well, Cal Tyler wasn't just a teacher at Bethany at that particular point in time. He was actually the principal of the Christian school that I've been at for 26 years. I didn't go from his class to this school. I went from there off to another place where I worked on my graduate studies. And I met somebody that was passionate about Christian schools. I was there two days. I knew what God's call was in my life. It was obvious what God wanted me to do and where God wanted me to be. It was so exciting and so invigorating for that to happen. But I met another person who had a positive influence in my life. And another person who had a positive influence in my life after I met the person who had a negative influence in my life. Some of us stay right here. We have that. But you know what? We've got to learn from our past, take all the truth we can get from it, but move to our present and become the people of influence that we need to be. If we stay there, we cannot help anybody else. If we move on and learn from it, we can be people of influence in the lives of other individuals. I want to read something to you. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. 
That's the one that's influencing my life. In his book, Song of the Bird, Tony DeMolo tells a story. A young man found an eagle's nest and put it in the nest of a barnyard hen. The eaglet hatched with the brood of chickens and grew up with the rest. All of his life, the eagle did exactly what the other chicks did. Because he thought, I'm just a chicken. He scratched the earth for worms and insects. He clucked and he cackled. He would thrash his wings and he would fly just for a few feet. Then he would drop back down to the ground. Years passed and the eagle had grown very old. And one day he saw this majestic bird above him in the cloudless sky. It glided in graceful majesty above the powerful wind currents with such a a beauty and and a wonder. He looked at those wings, strong golden wings. The eagle looked in awe and he said to his neighbor, Who is that? Like, what is that? That's an eagle. He's the king of the sky, said his neighbor. He belongs to the sky. You know what? We belong to the ground. We're chickens. So the eagle lived and died as a chicken. For that's what he thought he was. Chicken? Eagle? If I choose to be fed by God, I won't be a chicken. I will be an eagle. If I choose to be fed by God, if I choose to be influenced by what God has laid out in his word, and I allow that to shape my heart and my mind, guess what I will also do? I will turn other chickens into eagles. My challenge to every person in this room today would be twofold. Number one, first of all, take charge for what influences you. Secondly, don't let yourself off the hook. You are responsible for how you influence other people. Let's pray. Lord, today I thank you for every person in this room and the word that... uh, you have laid out so clearly. I, I'm so glad that you're not a God that, that uh, created someone and left us on our own, but you are a God who is actively involved in our lives today. And I pray for each person in this room today. I'm sure that there are people that don't feel like eagles. They feel like chickens. But today, God, I pray that you would just stir up new and fresh uh, opportunity in their hearts and their minds, because guess what you designed them for? And may they understand you designed them to be eagles. I pray today, God, that you would encourage them that you would empower them, and that you would help each of us, Lord, to take on our opportunity and our responsibility to be people of influence. Help us, Lord, to be the people that you would have us to be. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.